turning in the Old Testament to Job, Job chapter 1. But I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. I, I have to give credit this morning to my message to a well-known black minister. I was not going to preach through 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This is a scripture that many of us have memorized since we were children. This is a scripture that's pretty well known to many of us. But I, just happy, I was just on the internet this past week and I listened to a terrific message. I've tried to make this message my own by using my own outline, my own illustrations. But the passion and the key thought came through and will be amplified from this well-known black minister, I hope, this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. This is the NIV translation. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out to, so that you can stand up under it. And then if you wouldn't mind turning over to the book of Job, and we're going to be reading verse 1, and then we're going to drop down to verses 6 through 12. In the land of Uz, there lived a man named Job. This man was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. Verse 6. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. And the Lord said to Satan, Where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, From roaming through the whole earth, going back and forth in it. And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread out throughout the whole land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, Very well then, everything he has in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. And then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. And, and let's pray together, please. Heavenly Father, as I come before you this morning, I thank you for your word and I thank you that it applies to our life and our situation. I pray that you would help me to share it where the rubber meets the road. I pray, Lord, that you would bring encouragement from it and that you would stretch us, and that you would use us, and that you would help us to see that you have provided a way of escape. And there's nothing that we can't face without your grace and without your love. We can bear up under anything. Thank you, Lord, because of who you are and what you mean to us and the help you provide for us. For it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Have you ever heard anybody say, I've got what it takes. I've got what it takes. I'm the man for the job. 
I'm the woman for the job. I have absolute confidence. I can do this. I can do this. I can make this. I can make this happen. Absolute confidence. Until, until a trial or a temptation or something drives that person to their knees. Because at times, life can be very, very unbearable. Life can be very, very unbearable. A man was asked this question. A lady had not seen him in years. And she was shocked by how he looked. And so she asked the obvious question. Because he looked so depressed. And because he looked so stressed. And she asked the question that was on her mind. She just spoke it out loud. She had no resistance to speak it out loud. Because his countenance and his face and his whole demeanor was so different from the previous time that she had seen him. She said, what happened to you? What happened to you? And this man answered, life. Life happened to me. When we're younger, we often think that we have life by the tail and everything's going all hunky-dory for us and we're young and, and we don't have that many life experiences and we think that we can conquer anything and we think we can climb any hill and we think we can do any challenge and we've got all these visions and we have all of these dreams before us. But unfortunately, at times, life happens. It happens to you and it happens to me and life happens to every single one of us. Life happens. Now, i got to tell you something. It's more difficult. It's more difficult in middle age and in your elderly years than it was when you were younger. Even though you didn't have the money when you were younger and even though you didn't have the security, you still had your health and you still had your vim and you still had your vinegar, so to speak. Somebody said one time, you know, I've got vim and vinegar, but my vim is running low and my vinegar is completely gone. And we think we have life by the tail, but we can't do the things that we used to do. Even the last couple of years since I've been here in John Day, when I first came, I was jogging three or four times a week, five miles a day. But then I got problems with my calf muscles. And so now I can just barely walk. I can't even jog. And the walk is a slow walk. And uh, all of a sudden, you begin to have middle-aged problems, and things begin to ouch and to ooh, and you can't move as much as you want. And rheumatism sets in, and arthritis sets in, and you don't sleep as well as you used to. When I was younger, I could sleep 10 or 11 hours. Now I'm lucky if I get six hours straight. You know what I mean? Anybody say amen? Amen. Things happen to us over a period of time. And sometimes I question technology. Do you guys ever question technology? Uh, I appreciate all the advances, but I don't need another way. Uh, any, I don't need another way for people to access, to be accessible to me. I feel like I'm accessible enough, and I get a phone ring, and I get a phone ding, and I get a phone message, and and that Siri voice comes on and reminds me that I'm late for an appointment. And I don't know why that lady sounds so metallic. Do you? It sounds like my mother at times. I wish it sounded more like Darth Vader with that deep voice that would motivate me to be on time. But I don't understand that. Technology at other times, you just say, oh, Lord, just get me out of this. And like the psalmist said a number of years ago, I just wish I had wings of a dove and I wish I could just fly off. When you were younger, you were more critical. I don't know if, you get, if, you're, if that's true, but at least I was. I was often more critical. 
I, I didn't have any children. I wasn't married. And when I was younger, I could look down my nose and I could say, why in the world are they raising those kids that way? Why in the world are they raising those grandkids that way? Don't they know how to discipline their kids? And then I had kids. And it makes you close your mouth up. And you, 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 you look down your nose at the people that are married and these individuals that are married and you go, man, why can't he treat his wife better? Or why can't she treat her husband better? And all of a sudden you get married. And you understand that life can be very, very difficult. And so you have this idealism and you've got this vim and you've got this vigor. And when you're younger, you have all this stuff going on for you. But when you get middle-aged and when you get older, life happens to you. And it's very, very challenging at times. In the movies, Jackie Chan, the Kung Fu guy, he doesn't take on one guy. He doesn't take on two guys. He takes on a dozen guys at once. And in life, when problems happen to you, they don't come at once, one at a time. It's usually a dozen at a time. Because that's the way life is. Nobody gets a break at times. When you have a flat tire, then all of a sudden the car doesn't start. And then all of a sudden the child calls you up and says they're sick. And then your wife says, I got fired from the job. It's not one, but these things come at us, not one at a time, but often all at once. This is where we've been at in this story of Corinth. Here are these people like us today, these people who have been called out, these individuals who have been saved, these people who have been freed from sin and freed from their past. They're no longer bound by the slavery to sin. They're no longer bound into worshiping these idols and to burning these sacrifices. They're no longer slaves to, to idolatry but they still live in this world. The Word tells us we're to be in the world, but not of it. And they're still in this world. And they're still facing relationship problems. And sometimes they don't get along with other people. Sometimes they don't even get along with their own spouse. And sometimes they don't even get along with spiritual leaders. They don't see it eye to eye with these people. And there's all kinds of sexual debauchery, all kinds of things happening, all kinds of various temptations. We're talking about the 21st century when we look at the Corinthian church. And yes, they've been taught the way of holiness. And yes, they've been forgiven of their sins. But they're still in this world, and and they're not trying to be of it. And there's this cross-pull happening all the time. And living a holy life and walking with the Lord and serving Him and ministering wholeheartedly is not easy. If it's easy, then perhaps you're not really living for the Lord. I mean, there are some people that say, you know, I can live any old way I want to, come to church every once in a while, but that's not how most of us want to live our lives. If I take living for Christ seriously, and I'm sure that most of us do, there is pressure between what you're supposed to do and what you're tempted to do and how you're supposed to respond and how you're tempted to respond. And the Apostle Paul is challenging his people 
to not only be free from the slavery of sin and the slavery of legalism, but he says, I want you to go on and I want you to be free from the sin of selfishness. I want you to consider a brother that has a weaker conscience. And I don't want you to go back into that lifestyle that I called you out from. I want you to be different. It's difficult. We were talking about it in Sunday school class next door, how people that we work with, people that come in and visit our places of business, are people that we interact with, and all of a sudden they get angry or they get upset at us, or they're rude to us, or they cut us off, or they drive too close. How many of you like people tailgating you? It makes you mad. It gets you upset. And, uh, and they say things to you. And, and, and what's the natural reaction? You just want to just let them have it and do the rude thing back to them. And, and, and you want to argue your head off, so to speak. And, but you don't. Because the Holy Spirit muzzles your mouth. Because you've been called to live a different life. And I've been called to live, live a different life. And it's not without strength. It's not without pressure. Because there's a part of me that says, Oh, just let me at him. Just let me have him, let him at him with both dukes, so to speak. You see, we're trying to fit into something that doesn't fit just right. Because when you put on Christ, you just can't let people have it at the same time. And the city of Corinth, this, this city of Corinth, was a cesspool, so to speak, of debauchery and sin. And I mentioned the temple Aphrodite that had over a thousand prostitutes of both sexes. Every sexual whim, every proclivity could be had. And before they became Christians, they were doing whatever they wanted to do at any old time to whomever they wanted to do it with. But when they got saved, and when they embraced Jesus Christ as their Savior, all of a sudden, they began to live a different life. And the struggle really began at that point. I want you to notice, as a result, Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has seized you. Notice, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out from that. Now, no matter who you are, no matter the spiritual experiences that you've had in your life, no matter the level of maturity that you have, no matter the amount of spiritual gifts that you possess, this means that you will have trials and temptations until you die. It means that is inevitable. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. I don't care if you're a pastor, preacher, district superintendent, bishop, layperson, old, young, middle-aged, teenager. The Bible says that you will be tempted and you will be sorely tried. You will have these temptations. They're common to man. They're common to woman. They're common to everybody. Everybody has a temptation and they have trials and difficulties in their lives. You will face various trials and temptations as Christ's follower. This is what Jesus told his followers. He said, you will be tried and you will be tempted. 
If they did it to me, they're going to do it to you. And the Apostle Paul says, it is common, meaning it happens to all of us. Again, everybody, missionary, business owner, old and young. As long as we are Christian people, we will be tempted in this world. How many of you remember Gary Larson? Gary Larson wrote the cartoon strip, The Far Side. Do you remember Gary Larson? He retired. I can't imagine retiring for doing one cartoon strip a week or a day or whatever it did. But he, he retired. He got tired of doing that far side. The, the way he looked at life and how he wrote his cartoon out was just really amazing because he, he got particular insights to humanity and human life. I'll never forget the one. There were two deer, and they were talking to one another. And one of the deer had a bullseye on its shoulder and side. And the other deer said to the one with the bullseye, tough break, Fred, to be born with such a birthmark. As Christian people, you just know that you're marked. You're marked. When I was younger, I thought, you know, the, the more mature that I got, the more I got like Billy Graham, the less the temptation and the less the trials and the less the difficulties. The opposite is true. The more that you mature in your faith, the more that you try to serve Christ, the more you grow closer into the character of the person of Jesus Christ, the temptations are there and the trials are more prevalent in our lives. But we're Christian people. And we are not left alone. We're not left alone to our devices, our own strength, to our own weaknesses, our lack of strength. Because, second part, number two, Paul writes, and God is faithful. Notice, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. What you are able. Another translation says, you will not to be tempted beyond what you can bear. Are you, or, or, or excuse me, uh, be able to bear it. So God is faithful. That means that whatever, pro- whatever God promises in His Word is going to come true. This is God's Bible. This is our, His promises. And number two, God knows your ability of how well you can handle it. He knows your ability of how well you can handle it because God is faithful. It means that you did not get here by yourself. You didn't create yourself. You didn't design yourself. You are part of God's creation. It means that God is your architect and He has designed you and as an architect and as a planner, He knows how much you can bear up underneath the load that He's given you. Now, I, I, I'm honestly amazed with... Uh, with building. I love building. And some of you are builders. And if you were to take this building right here, you would see that there's a, it's obvious there are foundation walls. And then there are walls built on top of the foundation. And there are floor joists. And there are these huge roof joists. And then there are these, these, uh, these, uh, one by sixes that go this way. And then you have the roof on top of it. And, It's thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds this building can hold up right here. 
But I want to tell you something. Whoever designed this building, whoever was the contractor, whoever was the architect, they didn't just go by whim. They just didn't pull it out a hat out there and say, well, well, this building I think will hold this. They didn't start building this building first without understanding how much this building can hold up. They took in the calculations and they did their figures and they said, here are the two by sixes we need or here are the two by fours, here are these beams and these beams have to be this thick right here and the concrete and the rebar, all of those were built according to specifications. And the idea is, is that God will not let you go through anything that you haven't, he hasn't prepared in your life for you to go through. All of those trials, all of those difficulties, all of those hardships, all of those pains, all of those illnesses, all of those diseases, all of those heartaches, all of those things that you go through your life, God will use those things to build you in such a way so that you can bear the load. You can bear up underneath it. God knows your ability. And He knows how much you can bear because... He is the architect. He's the designer. He is it. When I started in this construction technology course a number of years ago and worked for this contractor, I was absolutely amazed of how much goes into a building. So when God says, you can bear it again, it's not a word from a novice builder guessing that you can bear it. He knows in advance how much you can bear. 1 Corinthians 10.13 And God is faithful. He will not, He will not, not maybe, not when He feels like it, it's not a whim, He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Now your temptation may be a little bit different from my temptation, even though the temptation is common for you in a sense. Because your construct may be a little bit different from my construct for bearing load, may be a little bit different for another person. In other words, what he allows in your life, he, don't, he doesn't necessarily put into my life. And what he puts in my life, he doesn't necessarily put into your life. But the end result is, is that he through the trials and the circumstances and the situations of life, even though we have a free will, God uses all of that free will to construct us in such a way that we can bear up under trials and temptations that we would never think that we could do. Tell me about it. Let's just be honest, church. Some of the things that you've gone through in your life, just recently perhaps, you would have never imagined when you were younger that you could have gone through some of the things that you've gone through. You can bear up underneath it because God has designed you. He has created you. And He's in the process of creating you and shaping you and forming you through all of these experiences of life. Even the bad ones that we bring upon ourselves, God can make something good out of that. God has a divine design created in Christ Jesus to bear things that others can't bear, to do the things that others can't do, to endure what others can't endure, to put up with things that others can't put up with. But just because 
you're designed in such a way and you've been constructed in such a way doesn't mean that you don't feel the heat and doesn't mean that you don't feel the pain and doesn't mean that you don't ask God at times to take it away from you and that you don't like it. God looked at the specifications, the specs, so to speak, in the Apostle Paul's life. And Paul, remember, he prayed that prayer three times. Lord, take it away. Take it away. Take it away. I can't handle this. I can't stand up underneath this. I don't like the pain. We believe that he had a physical problem. It could have been an emotional problem. We don't know. But three times he said, Lord, take it away from this. Take it away, take it away, take it away. And three times God said to him, My grace, what did he say? My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. I don't want to hurt anymore. My grace is sufficient for you. Lord, if only I had been raised by a godly parent. Ever ask that question? If only I had been raised by godly parents. If only my parents were so, were so, so abusive of me. If only my parents had not been alcoholics. And God says, I used all of that bad stuff to make something good in your life. Because my grace is sufficient for you. God says, I wouldn't let it happen if I knew that you couldn't bear up underneath it. To make sure that I put into you the construct, the plans, the load-bearing weight that you can hold up underneath it, that you can bear up underneath that you can stand up for what life would do to you and bring to you. The Bible says he uses all of those experiences again, even the bad ones that we bring upon ourselves to make something good out of the bad. Now, in the book of Job that we read earlier, we read that old Snagletooth came to God. He was wandering to and fro the earth. Satan was. And the context tells us that he was looking for a righteous and holy person. And he comes to God and he basically, the context tells us, he says, I haven't found anybody. And, you, and God says, I got a man for you. I got a man for you. This is a man that I've built into him a resistance to trials, a resistance to difficulties, a resistance to temptation. He is a resilient man and he will never ever turn his back on me and he will never ever curse me. And Satan said, the only reason he serves you is because you have a hedge of protection around him. The only reason that he serves you is because everything that he has ever done, you've blessed it and you've multiplied it. That's the only reason he serves you. And God said, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. Take your best shot at Job, but don't take his life. And Job lost all ten of his children. All of his livestock, he was a wealthy man. All of his health, he's sitting on the dung heap with boils all over his body, scraping shards of clay. And you remember the story. His wife came to him and said, you might as well curse God and die. 
And Job said, in my paraphrase, should we accept goodness from God and not accept adversity? He never cursed God. He questioned. He lamented. He asked why. He cried. But he never turned his back on God. He was constructed in such a way that he could bear up against it. He could stand up against it. Come hell or high water, whatever came his way. And God knew that about him. And he knows the absolute load that you can bear up under and the trial and the difficulties in your life and the temptations that you face. God was saying, I know how he's constructed. I know how he's constructed. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and just say that phrase. You don't know what you're made of. Say it. You don't know what you're made of. You don't know what you're made of. You don't know what you're made of. Because you're, as a child of the living God, you are well made. And you are well constructed. Amen? You're well made and you're well constructed because you don't know what you're made of. You don't know. You don't know what you can face until all hell breaks us, until the pressures are applied. You don't know what you can endure until people gossip about you, until people stab you in the back. You don't know what you're made of until you can endure all the various trials and all the difficulties that often life puts you through. Work-related problems, family-related problems, financial problems, marriage problems, struggles, tribulations, the death of a spouse. Some of you have gone through that. A terrible divorce. Some of you have gone through that. A disease where you got so sick and you were so discouraged and so depressed that you really, if the truth were to be known, you were saying, Lord, take me now. Take me home. I'd rather die than go through one more minute of this misery. But you're well constructed. You're well constructed. God has put into you a substance, a faith, a belief where you can stand up, you can bear anything, any trial, any temptation because of God's grace. Because he makes something good even out of bad. I know the load and I know the burdens that often we carry and the trials that we endure. I just know that as a pastor and as a fellow sojourner, what we walk through and what we go through. It's amazing to me that God reveals to us wonderful things. He blesses our lives. Here's the Apostle Paul again. Here's this man He said, I went up to the third heaven. I've had all of these wonderful experiences with God. I heard God speak to me on the road to Damascus. I saw that blinding flash. flash. I have a relationship with God Almighty through Jesus Christ. I have seen miracles upon miracles. I have gone to places where people haven't gone. But to keep me from being puffed up, I got this problem. And three times I said, take it away. And three times the Lord said, my grace 
is sufficient for you. Isn't that amazing? A blessing and then a so-called burden. An asset with various temptations and trials. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. If God is faithful, and He is, and He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, another translation, what you are able, but with the temptation, He will also provide a way of escape. Come on now. Come on now. Let's just be honest. Let's just kind of let let our mask down, down here for a second. This is our church. I don't care how much you have I have of the Lord in your life. I don't care what spiritual blessings you have in your life. I, I don't care what, what spiritual gifts that you have. I don't care whether you've been up in the third heaven or not, or that you, you've walked on water, perhaps like Jesus walked on water. There, there are some situations and there are some people that will just let all the air out of your tires. Right? Some trials and some situations that will get you so discouraged you just don't know if you can get out of bed. And let's not sit here pretending otherwise. It happens to all of us at one time or another. Did you know that Jesus, remember, sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane because of the stresses He was under and what He had to face? And don't tell me that we don't face similar trials and difficulties and temptations in our lives. Severe trials. We read that Jesus Christ Himself was tempted by old snaggletooth with all of the various ways, the three primary ways that He tempts people. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And He'll tempt you the same way. Let's not pretend no matter what the situation we find ourselves in, despite all the blessings in life, that life can be very, very difficult and we face trials and temptations. Remember Moses. Moses had been to the burning bush. Moses had seen the glory of God. He had been in the presence of God in such a powerful way that it altered his countenance. He had a glow about him. I believe that there was a transformation even in his hair. I don't know if that's uh, right on or not, but, but we, we, we saw that in the Ten Commandments movie, didn't we? So it must be true, right? But there was a glow about his face. He had been altered. He saw God part the Red Sea. He saw God do all of these miracles. The, 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 the Nile River was turned into blood. The firstborn of all the Egyptian children were killed and the firstborn of all the animals. He saw all of these miracles. He participated. He saw all these things. But when he got down to the problem of leading his people into the Promised Land, he basically said, what did I do wrong? Just let me die. We read about that in Numbers 11. Just let me die in the wilderness. These people and their problems are overwhelming to me. I've got enough problems on my own, my life and my family, but you have put me in charge of these whining people that need a nursery maid. And I don't like it, Lord. 
He has one and a half million people that he loves, but that he can't relate to. You say, what are you talking about, Pastor Ron? He didn't grow up as a slave. He grew up in the pomp and splendor of the Pharaoh's court. And somewhere in middle age, in his 40s, he left and became an itinerant sheep herder. And here he got called before God, before this bush that was burning but never really burned. And he walked on holy ground. And then God said, I want you to go back to your people. They were his people, but he didn't have the same life experiences. He had never been a person that had to make brick out of straw. He had never been beaten. He had never gone without a meal. How could he relate to these people that were so different? And Moses, despite uh, standing against magicians and sorcerers and the Pharaoh, and he just asked the question, What have you done, Lord? I'm with people who can't even help themselves. Is there anybody here who is ever or is presently helping someone who is not able to help themselves? It's very frustrating. Through childish decisions are enough to make you say, God, what did I do wrong? You look at the child that you raised or that you are raising and say, our grandchild, God, what did I do wrong? You look at that employee and you say, God, what did I do wrong? What do you do in the face of all this when life seems so unfair, when you're going through something that you did not expect, when you find yourself leading a group of people that you can't hardly relate to? How do you survive in an unbearable situation? How do you resist that temptation that's right across the street? So attractive. So nice. Or that temptation at work where that fellow employee pays attention to you and pats you on the back all the time and tells you how great you are. When the load is heavy and there's little joy. But God is faithful. He's faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, He will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. You can bear the load through the temptation or the trial that you face in your life. How does he do it, Pastor Ron? He gives us his word and the promises of the Bible to cut through bone and marrow and all the arguments that old Snaggletooth will bring against us. And we have the power of his Holy Spirit ruling and reigning and working in our lives. We have the paraclete. We have the counselor. We have the Holy Spirit. It's interesting to me that Moses complains and whines 
and he basically says, just let me die. And then God basically says to him, this is what you need to do. You need to delegate and pour yourself into 70 elders. There's a principle here. There's a principle here. God's not only given us his word, his spirit, but he's given us one another. One another. I can break it. I have a sister. I have a brother. They're holding me up. They're helping me. They're lending their hand. They're patting me on my back. They're helping me. Always, there's a way of escape. I'm going to close. I'm running out of time. There's a fellow in in our first church years ago, and he was a bus driver. He drove uh, the Metro bus in Missoula, Montana. He drove it on a regular basis. He was uh, a young man at the time, newly wed wife. They'd been only married maybe eight, nine years. Three kids. He was a nice guy. Nice looking man. He drove this bus line every day. A young lady began to get on his bus. Attractive young lady. She was a part-time student. She worked part-time someplace else. And she would often sit up front, right across from this bus driver, engaging him in conversation until she was dropped off. And as was her habit, she began to do this on a regular basis. He didn't know what to do. He had to drive the bus. And so he engaged her back in conversation. One day, she popped a question to him. She said, hey, isn't your lunch break within five minutes from now? Can I take you to lunch? Can I buy your lunch? He said he knew instantly that it was more than just a lunch invite. He knew it. The red flag went up. And he prayed because he really wanted to go to lunch with this beautiful young lady. And he said, Lord, help me, help me, help me to escape. <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and the phone rang. <laughs> and it says, here's God. You need to... <laughs> And, and so he, he prayed this prayer. He felt himself weakening. You can just imagine, right? Attractive young lady, you know. You, you know he's handsome, but he's not Robert Redford, right? I mean, he's not. And he's got three young kids, and he's got a wife at home. and It just happened. This is the way the Lord works. It just happened. That was the very first day, first and only time, that I rode the Metro bus in Missoula, Montana. I got on the bus and I said, 
Hey, you're driving today. This is my first time on this bus. And he smiled from ear to ear and he said, Pastor, I am so thankful to see you today. And then he told me the story later on. And he said, just by you being on the bus and seeing you gave me enough strength to resist that temptation. There's always a way out if we choose the way and we can bear up against any trial and difficulty. Would you pray with me, please? Thank you, Lord.